0: Good morning, y'all. Can be seated. Y'all can be seated. We gotta get started. All right. Look at someone and say she's gonna make you really mad, but then it's gonna get really good. So just hold on. Okay. It's it's gonna get better. All right. But it's it's an honor to to preach. I always feel honored to stand up here and thank you, Pastor Porter, to stand up here and pray and um but and preach. But as I was preparing for this message, um. You know, the Holy Spirit began to talk to me about miracles. You know, pastor's talking about we're about to enter into a season of miracles. So my title this morning is Beyond. And I tagged it, there's a miracle in motion. So look at someone next to you and say, there's a miracle in motion. There's a mi- so remember that when you get mad, there's a miracle in motion that's coming. <laughs> Amen? All right, so I'm going to start off. I, I read this story a while back, um, a couple years ago now. And it was a story by by a woman named Irene Fogel Weiss, and she's a Holocaust survivor. And um, her family was killed in the Holocaust, and she was the only survivor left from her family. And she wrote this. She said, my father surveyed the scene from the train, and we could see prisoners, uniforms, and barracks. So we immediately thought it was a work camp, and that was reassuring because if we can work, it, it can't be such a dreadful place. And we had heard about the stories in Poland of, of lots of mass shootings of Jews. Can y'all just take my mic down a little bit up here? It's feeding back really bad. But we heard the stories in Poland of lots of mass shootings of Jews or people being taken into the forest and shot. So it was a relief to see out the window that there was actually a system. Even though we were victims of discrimination at that stage, that's all it was As we had no clue then that this was a very carefully orchestrated plan of genocide. So we could not have imagined that they would kill little children until we realized that killing children was their primary goal, to prevent any new generations. So because desperate people will always look to find a sign of hope, we thought to ourselves, well, even if we have to work, at least we'll see each other occasionally. And she made this statement. She said, but the German system was full of this sort of deception. And it counted on people's normal perception of things, like thinking we were going to a work camp, thinking that you were going to take a shower, when, in fact, you were headed to the gas chambers. and that was the ultimate deceit. And I, I, I read that statement over and over, and, and I just thought about how the devil works. You know, the devil works through deceit. And when she said that the German system, they counted on their normal perception of things. I said, you know, that's just how the enemy works in our lives. He counts on, the nor- on your normal perception of reality that you have become locked in so that you'll no longer challenge it. Right. right? And so what he does is he counts on that perception, that distorted perception we call normal to keep us locked into a life we were never meant to live. This is going to be on the screen. Behavior is based on our perception, and our perceptions are made by our thoughts. Dr. Caroline Leaf says this. She says, cognitive distortions are the irrational or the inflated thoughts that distort our perception of reality. They then turn into patterns of belief which affect how we think, speak, and act. So you can see some of these patterns of belief that are a result of distorted perceptions in church today. You know what those are? Patterns we've normalized. So so patterns like attending a service once a week but forfeiting a personal relationship with him the rest of the week. The Bible calls it a religion without power, right? Worshipping once a week instead of worship being the primary function of my life. Hearing the word of God once a week, but never opening the Bible to hear his words the rest of the week. Having faith once a week, but not realizing that faith is a lifestyle, it's not a momentary high. We've normalized feeling his presence once a week, but then choose to live out the destructive patterns of our lives the other six days that we've normalized. And because we have reduced the influence of God in our lives to a Sunday morning service only, we have allowed a distorted reality to set in and we call it normal. So we tend to to normalize patterns of behavior. Like hopelessness. Have you noticed I have seen more hopeless people in church than I do in the world. We normalize patterns of hopelessness. And so we and we don't come right out and say, I'm hopeless. But it shows up in our thoughts, shows up in our actions, in our words. So we say, we begin to say things like, well, that's just the way it is. I've said it before. Y'all don't have to get quiet on me, right? I, I mean, that's, that's just the way it is. Or I'll hear people say, well, that's just the cards I've been dealt. As if we are completely subject to our circumstances and we don't have the ability to change anything in our lives. So it's patterns that we normalize, and eventually it becomes the lens through which we look at life. And so you may say, well, it's okay to say, well, you know, that's just the way it is. But the problem is when you don't challenge that perception, eventually the lens through which you look, it colors everything in hopeless. Everything becomes hopeless at that point. So it's no longer just the one perception, now my whole world is colored in hopelessness. Because that's what the enemy does. He works through deception. And see, so, you know what, I was thinking about this, sometimes the best way to experience a different reality than the one you've been experiencing is to experience a different circle. Sometimes, I, I was thinking about this, and I was like, well, how, how, do you, how do you experience a different reality than the one you've normalized? You find some friends who aren't impressed with you, and they begin to challenge the predominant perceptions in your life. I have had friends that look at me and they're saying, I'm not impressed with you. You sound bitter. What's going on? Because I need friends around me that say, Vanessa, it's what John Maxwell says. He says, your potential is determined by the ones closest to you. So I need friends in my life. You need friends in your life that know how to, how to, how to realize when you're in a place of hopelessness. And they look at you and they say, no, there's way too much potential in your life for me not to challenge the words that are coming out of your mouth. You don't have to stay stuck in a hopeless place. You need some friends who will challenge you. And then, and you know who else needs to challenge you yourself? Let me show you something. I was, I was just thinking about this message and praying and the Holy Spirit just was reminding me about things in my own life and people who have come to challenge me along my journey, and, and I thank God for them. And I, I realized that if you don't ever challenge the predominant perceptions in your life, you eventually end up right, fighting the wrong battles. Have you ever noticed that in your life? You're just tired. You're weary. You're frustrated. And you're fighting the wrong battles. Well, what's the wrong battle? Any battle you engage with, with, with people or the devil. I'm not here to engage in a battle with people that I'm not called to be at war with. People are not the issue. I'm not here to engage in a battle with a devil that was already, already defeated. That's not the issue. So what is the battle I'm called to fight? It's the battle right here. Put your hand on your, on your mind right here. It's the battle between my two ears. That's the battle that I'm called to fight because at some point you have to learn to look at yourself in the mirror and say, you know what, the devil, I know the plan of the devil. He loves to keep me distracted fighting the wrong battles, fighting with people, fighting with my spouse, fighting with my family, fighting my kids, fighting my job, fighting my boss. We end up fighting all these battles and we're worn out. We're defeated, we're worn out, we're tired, we don't have victory, and we're like, God. But it's not, that's not the battle you're called to fight. The battle you're called to fight and win is the one right here in your mind. The one that comes to try and talk you out of the promises of God. The one that tries to come and convince you that the hopeless situation is not temporary, but it's always going to be like that. Right? Right? So it's, a, it's an unnatural place, a distorted reality. It's an unnatural place. And we get there when we're fighting battles. We're not called to fight. You know, that's what Paul was talking about when he wrote to the church in Cornith in 2 Corinthians chapter 10. Whenever he says that we, we are mighty in God for the pulling down of strongholds, he says strongholds in that context because in that context, strongholds are thoughts and perceptions. And you know, 50 years before Paul was even born in his hometown of Sicily, there was um, a pirate. There were some pirates who came and invaded his hometown, so the Roman army and the pirates were going at it. And the pirates would actually hide, behind these huge rock fortresses. And so I can imagine Paul. He's like writing to the church in Corinth, and he's like, "How do I explain battles that are useless? How do, okay, rock fortresses." <laughs> Rock fortresses. I'm going to use this example because here's what a rock fortress is, right? You're standing behind this structure and you're hiding behind it, right? Because here's the thing about your thoughts. Your thoughts gather and then they build. Thoughts are not singular. Thoughts gather and then they build. So what he was saying was brick, like like bricks or stone, brick by brick, stone by stone, The thoughts you allow to remain in your mind end up piling up on top of each other, and eventually they become so high that it is more real to you than the very Word of God in your life. And then we wonder why we come into church on Sunday morning and we just can't feel God. We wonder why we sit in church week after week and we hear the Word of God preached, but we, we just don't feel anything. Have you ever been in that place? Because what happens is when the Word of God, listen to me, when the Word of God, praise Him, when the Word of God comes to challenge you, you no longer feel convicted to change because you have normalized your own dysfunction. If you sit in church week after week and you hear the Word of God being preached and you never feel convicted to change, it's because there's a fortress been placed in your mind and you no longer feel convicted to change because why challenge what is normal in my life? And we do that in church. We come into church week after week and there's normalized areas of dysfunction in our life. Come on, we do that in church. We, 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 we want to whisper about everybody else's dysfunction, but we want to dress ours up real nice. Come on, you know we do that. Don't act don't act like that. We talk about everybody else's dysfunction. But we dress ours up real nice. But here's what Colossians 3 verse 12 says. You are always and dearly loved by God. So robe yourself with the virtues of God since you have been chosen to be holy. Listen to this. Be merciful as you endeavor to understand others. Be merciful as you work to understand others, showing kindness towards all. Be gentle and humble, unoffendable in your patience with others. Tolerate the weakness of those in the family of faith, forgiving one another in the same way you have been graciously forgiven by Jesus Christ. If you find fault with someone, release this same gift of forgiveness to them, for love is supreme and must flow. It must flow. I hear a lot of people talk about maturity in the church, but they don't love nobody. The the Bible says that the true mark of maturity is ones who walk in love. Okay, I'm just going to move on. James chapter 1 verse 26. James is my favorite book in the Bible. This is what it says. If someone believes they have a relationship with God but fails to guard his words then his heart is drifting away and his religion is shallow and empty. True spirituality, not social media spirituality, true spirituality that is pure in the eyes of our Father God is for this reason, to make a difference in the lives of the orphans and widows in their troubles and to refuse to be corrupted by the world's values. We don't like words. We don't like scriptures like that. I know we don't like those passages. You're probably thinking the message that she came to preach was miracles and now I'm offended. Right? We're getting there. Just just hold on with me. It says to refuse to be corrupted by the world's values. So what does that look like? That looks like in a culture that says I have the right to be offended with people. The reality of the kingdom says for unforgiveness is unacceptable. It's unacceptable. We dress it up cute in church. But God is saying no. The reality of my kingdom is that that's unacceptable. In a culture that says gossip and belittling people is okay, I'm not even talking about the world. I'm talking about the church. I met some mean church people. The reality of the kingdom says no. I'm not going to gossip and talk and belittle and make fun of people. It's unacceptable in the reality of the kingdom because the mark of true maturity is love. Is love. So there should be these markers of maturity as we grow in the things of the Lord. Because here's the thing. See, we tend to want to be impressive. Religion makes you want to be impressive. But I'm telling you... People may be impressed by a distance by the Facebook post and the Instagram post and the scripture, you know, by hand, but I'm telling you, God is standing up close and he's not impressed because I'm saying, he's saying, I did not call you to be impressive. I called you to be impactful and you can want to be impactful all you want, but if you do not surrender the areas of dysfunction in your life, you will constantly seek to be impressive. Impressive. He is looking for a generation of followers, of disciples that come into church on a Sunday morning and they say, I'm not here to act like I got it all together. I'm not here to act like I'm the I'm the best thing in the planet. I'm here because I've surrendered areas of dysfunction. And only God knows where I'd be had I not. Only God knows what I would look like if I was still living out those areas. We're not here to be impressive. He's, God's not impressed. He says, I want you and I called you to be
1: impactful.
0: Yes. Impactful in this city. Impactful in your job. Impactful in your family. Yes. Do you know it's insulting to choose offense when He bought and paid for our forgiveness on the cross? Yes. On. Do you know it's insulting to constantly choose immaturity? whenever he bought and paid for our freedom on the cross. God, I, I'm asking God to convict us again. Instead of looking at the other areas of weakness in everybody else, let's like take a look at ourselves and say, God, can you begin a work in me? God, can you deal with the areas in my life that are rotten? Can you deal with the, the, with the rotten fruit that I'm producing in my life? Because I'm not here to be impressive. I don't want to die one day and and everyone around me say, wow, she was impressive. (laughs) I want to, at the end of my life, I want to die. And people say she made a difference when she opened up her mouth because it wasn't just about the words she spoke, but there was character behind it. And her character was able to preach where her words could never go. Jordan Peterson, he's a clinical psychologist, and and he makes a statement. He says, heaven and hell are eternal places because they are always present at the extremes of human existence, for better or worse. And you are constantly choosing between them, although you're generally not aware of it. So we think perceptions and attitude and language and gossiping and belittling and, and being offended, we think that's okay. But did you realize that with every choice, you make between heaven and hell, between death and life, that you are becoming more aware of the reality you choose, because whatever you choose to focus on becomes magnified in your life. So we we tend, we don't like, we we like gray areas, right? You're like, Vanessa, that's very extreme. (laughs) No. The Bible says that death and life is in the power of the tongue. So with every choice I make as I walk through my day, as I deal with those people that, that hurt me, as I deal with the disappointments of life, as I, as I deal with my spouse, as I talk to my kids, with every choice, I am making a decision between heaven and hell, death and life. There's no gray area. And with each choice, I'm becoming more, more aware of whatever reality I've decided to follow. So if I've chosen life, then the reality of my life will reflect that. Right. But if I've chosen death, the reality will be the deterioration that's happening within. That's right. right? I know I've got to move on. We're running out of time. I feel like the Holy Spirit has something today, so I'm trying to get there. Y'all are going to get happy. Just look at your neighbor and say, it's going to get better. Right. It's going to get, we're getting to miracles. We're getting to miracles. Yeah. Yeah. So we're talking about there, there's a miracle in motion over your life, but see, the problem is this. If your reality remains distorted, if you continue to have a, have a distorted view of God and his nature, then you will view miracles as a rare occurrence rather than a natural experience. Because that's what we do in the church. In the church, we, we, in America, in Western theology, we tend to look at miracles as an addition to. It's, it's a bonus. It's the cherry on top. Right. Well, maybe if I get to the right service at the right time with the right speaker, there will be a miracle. And we tend to look at miracles like that, like it's a rarity instead of the expectation. But see, if we're not viewing miracles as the expectation, wherever we go, wherever we walk, it's because we have a distorted reality. See, God didn't give us power and authority to sit around and wait for the rapture. And he didn't give us power and authority to sit around and wait for the pastor to pray on our behalf. He said, I'm giving you power and authority over the devil. To do what? To invade darkness. To invade darkness. In Luke chapter 6, verse 46, Jesus asks this question. He says, why do you call me Lord, but you don't obey what I say? Why do you call me Lord, but you don't do what I command? Well, what did Jesus command? Let's look at Matthew chapter 10, verse 8. Jesus is looking at his disciples, and he gives them a command. Notice he didn't ask, hey, guys, if your theology matches up with what I'm about to ask you to do, um, it'd be great if you execute it. He didn't say, hey, guys, if this makes you comfortable, um, could you go ahead and just do this assignment? No, he gives them a command, and this is what he says. He says, as you go, preach this message. Heaven's kingdom realm is accessible and it's close enough to touch. So continually bring healing to the lepers, to those who are sick. Make it your habit to break off the demonic presence from people. Raise the dead back to life freely you have received. Freely you give. So here's the thing in a culture that's always looking for self-discovery. Why am I here? What's my purpose? Identity, right? You will never find your identity apart from obedience. You will never... Find your obedience apart from, obe- from obedience, right? See, and it's not a pick and choose gospel. Well, my theology agrees with this command that Jesus said, so I'm going to live out that one. Or, or I'm comfortable with this part of Jesus, so I'm just going to live out that command. No, He says, don't even call me Lord if you're not willing to obey what I have said. What did He say? Heal the sick, raise the dead, heal the lepers. Break demonic oppression off people. Why do we make it so complicated in the Western church today? I've, just, I've got to sing the right three songs. I've got to pray and fast for 10 days so a revival can break out. No, because here's the thing. We've got to get to the place where disease bothers us. Where sickness bothers us. Where anxiety and depression bothers us. Where physical limitations bother us. Why? Bill Johnson says it all the time. It's because if Jesus paid for it on the cross, then I'm not willing to stop until it's mine. But see, here's the thing about about Western church and in our theology. We have become so comfortable to live without the power of God, and so therefore we have it. We have become so content to live without miracles. We've been so comfortable to keep on coming with our issues and our struggles, saying, oh, it's okay, you know, I, I don't have to get healed. I don't, it doesn't really bother me. You know, I can just go to the doctor, and there's nothing wrong with that. But we've come so content with living without the supernatural, and we wonder why nothing's happening in our lives. We look around the nations of the world and you see revival. You see these these crazy miracles that are happening. And we ask the question all the time, well, why isn't it happening here? Well, does it, maybe it's because we really don't desire it. See, we, we have to stop creating theology around what didn't happen. We do that in the church. We create theology around what's happened before, right? So if I've been praying and... And I, and I believe for healing and, and it doesn't happen. All of a sudden I make a theology around, well, maybe God didn't really want to do it that day. Maybe, you know, maybe I just wasn't good enough to be healed. Maybe, you know, I don't know what happened that day. Maybe he just doesn't heal. And so we end up, we end up making theology around what hasn't happened yet. And then before you know it, if we don't challenge those thoughts, we become talked out of healing We become talked out of breakthrough. We become talked out of restoration. And we become okay with living in mess that God calls a distorted reality. Uh So here's the thing. In in the word salvation, you know, we tend to to take the word salvation and we make it a one-issue thing, the forgiveness of sins. Right? Right? And that's true. God did. He came and he forgave us of our sins when I accept Jesus into my heart as as Lord and Savior. But in the word salvation is not only forgiveness of sins. It is also healing, miracles, wholeness. I'll prove it to you. Isaiah 53, 4. It says, yet he was the one who carried our sickness and endured the torment of our sufferings. We viewed him as one who was being punished for something he himself has done, as one who was struck down by God and brought low. But it was because of our rebellious deeds that he was pierced, and because of our sins he was crushed. Listen to this. He endured the punishment that made us completely whole. And in his wounding, we found our healing. So, yeah, we're saved from sin but we're saved to wholeness. Yes. We are saved from our sins, but you've been saved to a state of complete wholeness. It's the original intent that God had for your life. And if we're not careful, we're going to continue to create a, this theology that says, well, I don't really need to believe God for that because I've never seen it before, so I don't, need, I don't even think he does that anymore. Come on. Come on. When God said, when Jesus went to the cross... And he died for the forgiveness of my sin, but he also died that I could live in the original design he had for my life. And that didn't include sickness. That did, God does not put sickness on people. He does not put sickness on people. He does not put disease on people. The original intent of your life is completely whole. It is completely whole. So if miracles are the expectation, then I need to realize that miracles are the assignment. Yeah. Miracles are the assignment of every believer in this room. It's not just the job of the pastor. It's not the job of the church staff to flow in miracles. Miracles is your assignment. It became your assignment the day you accepted Jesus into your life as Lord of Savior. He said, I have come to make you whole. So freely you have received, now freely give. He's talking about the miracle realm. When Jesus looked at his disciples and he said, Guys, here's what I want you to do heal the sick. It wasn't an option. He's saying, this is your natural assignment that I have called you to do. And any other reality is not acceptable. (laughs) Have you ever wondered why we see the impossible situations in our life and and we tend to cower back? We're like, I don't know how that's going to happen. I'm not sure how that's going to happen. God places the, the impossible situations in front of you because he says, here's your assignment. It's to take everything that I declared as possible and it's to invade it. It's to invade that place that says it's not possible. That is your assignment every single day. And it's not just for the four walls of a church. You're to flow in miracles in your house. You're to flow in miracles on your job. You're to flow in miracles in your finances and on your workplace. Miracles are not an addition to, they are the assignment of our lives. So how do we, I know we got to move on. How do we live like miracles are the expectation and not a rarity? Well, number one, you've got to be aware. I ask the Holy Spirit now, every, I ask him all the time throughout my day, make me aware. Make me aware because we're a very busy society. We're very busy and we tend to, to see the impossible situations around us and we tend to just walk on by them as if we don't have the power and authority to deal with it. Yeah, right. Right. But Jesus said, I, have, I, I came so that you could have life and have it more abundantly. So there are some things I believe. If Jesus said that I have the mind of Christ, then I'm just going to determine that I'm not going to live anxious. If Jesus said that the strength and the joy of my life is found in his presence, then I'm going to take him at his word and believe that strength and joy is mine, so therefore I don't have to be depressed. If he declared that I am the head and not the tail, then I'm going to take him for his word and say, well, if I'm a tither, I'm going to trust and believe that there will always be seed for the sower. But see, we read these scriptures in the Bible, and we talk about them, and we hear the stories, but it's all in our head, and it never settles down here, because he says, what are you content to live without? That's the question every believer has to answer. What am I content to live without? If he said I could have it in his word, and I don't have it, what's the reason? Am I content to live without it? Number two, we must ask boldly. We must ask boldly. I'm not over here begging God to do something in my life. I'm not over here begging him to move in my city. I'm not, I don't have to beg God to do that. I've misunderstood the heart of God if I do that. God is not sitting up in heaven and hearing your prayers and saying, well, maybe I'll do something in a week or two. That's not the nature of God. But what he is looking for is some radical faith. That steps out and say, God, I know there's this impossibility before me, but what I'm going to do is I'm going to learn to trust your word more than what I don't see yet. Yes, yes. So we've got we've to gotta ask boldly. In Acts chapter 14, I'm just going to summarize the story for you. There's, there's Paul and Barnabas, and they just got kicked out of the church in Antioch, right, or, or the synagogue. They got kicked out because they were making all the Jewish people mad. So they get kicked out. So what do they do? They show up in Iconium. And the same thing, ha- the Bible says the same thing happens there. <laughs> they're preaching the message of Jesus. And, and all of a sudden, like, they're, they're making these people really angry. There's some who believe. There's some who don't believe. And so the ones who don't believe begin to poison the minds of the ones who do believe. And all of a sudden, they make this plan. They're like, we're going to stone Paul. His day's coming. So then, what do they do? They just show up in Lystra. They move on along, right on along to Lystra. So they get to Lystra and all of a sudden, they're, they're preaching and boldly declaring the word of God. And Paul notices this man who had been crippled from birth. And he looks at him and he says, hey, I discern in my heart, I discern in my spirit that you have, you have um, faith to be healed today. And he says, so get up. And the Bible says that the man who had been crippled from birth, he just gets up miraculously. And so I, I just started reading that story and I was like, you know, there's something in there that Paul understood about the power of showing up? All right. Come on. John Maxwell says it all the time. We often underestimate compound interest. The power of just showing up. And that's what Paul and Barnabas kept doing. They just kept showing up. Well, Antioch didn't like me, so I'm just going to keep showing up. I'm going to move on along. I'm going to go to the next place. Well, they don't like me either. All right, I'm going to show up at the next place. And they get to Lystra, and then a miracle happens because they were willing to show up. You know, and then here's what's interesting about this story. They get to Lystra, the miracle happens, and then all of a sudden, the town went crazy. I mean, it went crazy. You had people who were referring to Paul and Barnabas as the Greek gods Hermes and Zeus. They began to to sacrifice to the temple in Zeus, and they're like bringing them wreaths of flowers to put on their head like crazy. Okay. So the town is erupting and it's going crazy over this. And Paul and Barnabas hear about this and they tear their clothes and, and they run up and they were like, guys, I'm not the healer. Like I I can't do, I can't do nothing by myself. Actually. Um, God is the healer. I'm just the vehicle. I just show up. I just show up and I believe that miracles are the assignment. That's what I do. I, I don't take care of anything else. So, so, the people, the, so the people are mad at this point, they're mad, and then the mad people from Antioch join up with the mad people from Iconium, and they get together and they're like, we're going to stone Paul today. So what do they do? They pick up stones and they begin to stone Paul right there in the middle of the city. And the Bible says that they dragged his body out to the outskirts of the city and left him there to die. And then this next part got me. The the believers encircled Paul and Paul miraculous he he just gets up, miraculously gets up. And the Bible says that Paul immediately went back to the city. And then he showed up in Derby. Paul was I mean, come on, we get offended in church if our coffee order was messed up that morning. Uh, I, we laugh about it, but that's the fickleness of humanity. God wants me to offer a sacrifice of praise. I didn't even get my donut. The ushers told me I couldn't bring it into church this morning, and now I'm mad. How do you expect me to go in there and offer a sacrifice of praise? My stomach is hungry. My coffee's messed up. Praise God. I know we laugh about it, but it's true. We do that. We do stuff like that. If anyone had the right to be offended, Paul was stoned doing the work of the Lord. You know, and here, and I always look at what, what they did and what they didn't do. Here's what Paul didn't do. He didn't get up and say, you know, God, um, I'm down here doing the work of the Lord. I am laboring for the gospel and you allowed these people to stone me. I'm going to take a minute because I feel that was totally unacceptable. (laughs) You know, you know, I mean, these people stone him in the middle of the city because they're mad about what he's saying. And Paul just gets up and he shows up again. Paul didn't get up and was like, bless God, they did that to me. So now I'm not going nowhere. I'm not preaching no message. Those people can go right to where God doesn't want them to go. (laughs) Come on. Listen, I'd be a little bit mad if someone stoned me. I have a temper and God's working that out of me. But I think I'd get up swinging. (laughs) I think I'd have to fight and then ask the Holy Spirit to help me. You know, but Paul just, he just shows up. He just goes right back to that place of perceived failure. He goes right back to that place of pain. He goes right back to that place of disappointment. And he's like, you know what? I'm just going to show up in the next place. And then he gets to the next place. Revival breaks out. Faith is stirred. There's people coming to Jesus by the thousands. Miracles are happening. And my question when I read that was, what would it look like if you just kept showing up? What would it look like in America if we just kept showing up? Because we have a really bad habit. Of blaming what didn't happen on God. And we, we have a really bad habit of saying, God, well, I don't see revival yet. I don't see revival yet. And what I have to ask myself is, Vanessa, have you stopped showing up? Have you stopped showing up? My marriage is falling apart. Well, have I stopped showing up? My mind is a mess. I'm dealing with all these things in my head. Have I stopped showing up? I can't get along with my family. I can't get along with my friends. Have I stopped showing up? Because that's what we do. The devil has convinced a generation it's okay to give up. It's okay to quit. Throw in the towel when it's hard. And then we wonder why we're not seeing miracles, signs, wonders, and breakthroughs. It's because we don't show up. We get mad when it didn't happen in our timing, so we stop showing up. But that's what Paul and Barnabas do, did. They just kept on showing up. And I, oh, It's getting, okay. We're getting low. Um, so I'm going to end it soon. <laughs> I'm trying to end it. But it's, it's the power of showing up. And, you know, that's what, what Peter, even Peter, did in the Bible. In, Ma- in Matthew, whenever we, we hear the story of Peter walking on the water, it's one of the most notable miracles. But when I was preparing for prayer a few months ago, The Holy Spirit showed me something I've never seen before in this story. Okay, we all know Peter walked on the water, right? Okay, what you didn't know is this story is an ordinary story. It's completely ordinary. It's full of ordinary moments. And why is this important? Well, because we naturally look for certain moments where we believe something supernatural can occur. Right? That's why we we chase personalities. We chase... Um, different church meetings I don't have a problem with that but we end up looking for a right moment where something supernatural can occur but see in this story there, you know, there's a storm that arises on the Sea of Galilee well that's normal because of how the Sea of Galilee was situated storms would happen sudden and they happened often it was normal that a storm happened and then you have um, the, the fishermen they were all sleeping in a boat well they're fishermen right And they're in a boat. And the story happened between 3 and 6 in the morning. It's it's, it's a normal day. It's normal moments. And so all of a sudden, in in the middle of what is normal, Jesus begins to walk out on the water. And Peter was like, I think there's an invitation here for me to challenge what I've considered normal my whole life. I think there's an opportunity for me to do something I've never done before. And see, Peter could have allowed his perception of normal to say, say in the boat where it's comfortable, where Jesus is near, but it doesn't require action on your part. Right? And this is what I felt the Holy Spirit say to me in that story. How many times have you forfeited the invitation to move out to where he is for the sake of remaining where you are because you're satisfied with knowing he's near instead of being compelled to be where he is? How often... Do we forfeit our invitation for healing? We forfeit our invitation for the supernatural to happen in our lives? How often do we forfeit it because we're satisfied with knowing Jesus is near in the storm instead of being compelled to move to where he is? Peter could see Jesus. He saw his face. He heard his voice. He could hear him. He saw him. And he could have been content to say, you know what? Jesus is near to me in the storm. Everything's going to be fine. But he said, wrapped up in this natural moment is a supernatural encounter that has an invitation extended to me. And I don't have to take it. I can stay right here where I am and be satisfied with the Jesus I know. Or I can be compelled to get out and be where he is. See, I believe Jesus showed up in the middle of the ordinary to show Peter You don't have to look for the right moment. Unwrap the right moment. You unwrap the moment. You unwrap the moment as you walk in your home. You unwrap it. You unwrap the moment as you walk into your job. You unwrap it whenever you witness an impossible situation. You unwrap the supernatural that has your name on it already. Because here's the thing. There's a miracle in motion over my life. If I truly believe that miracles are the assignment, the miracles are present. They're just waiting on my motion. On. I can't believe that miracles are my assignment but not believe miracles are present. Right. Miracles are present and they are the assignment. But they require motion. Because here's the thing about about Peter, he had bold faith in that moment. And did you do you realize that bold faith is offensive to the stationary Bold faith becomes offensive to the ones who are content to live with their version of Jesus. Bold faith is is offensive to the ones who become comfortable in their issue and struggles in life. And that's why Jesus says, I'm looking at my church in America, and I'm saying, don't you realize that there's a miracle in motion over your life? Because miracles are the very assignment. It was the very heart and nature of what Jesus came to do. But at some point, you have to address the reality you've created. You have to question the theology you've accepted around miracles and say, "Do I, am I willing to believe again that in every moment God says there's a miracle over your life? Pastor's talking about it's a season of miracles we're about to step into. Pastor Porter, you can go ahead and come up. It's a season of miracles over this house. And I was, I was just praying about that this morning and throughout preparing for this, for this day, and I just felt the Holy Spirit say so strongly that there are miracles in motion over your life this morning because there's broken people here. There's broken situations, and we hide it really well, but there's turmoil happening. There's bitterness. There's anger there's, there's things we don't understand. And he says, I have a miracle in motion for you this morning. But it's going to require motion on your part. There's a story, in, in as we're about to close, in Mark chapter 9, verse 20, Jesus walks up onto this crowd, and, and his disciples have been trying to heal this little boy who has, who is demon-possessed. He had been possessed his whole life. And so the disciples couldn't cast the demon out, and... And they're just, you know, they don't know what to do. And and so the father of the little boy brings him to Jesus. And he's, he's just having this dialogue with Jesus. Jesus is like, well, how long has he been like this? And Jesus said, well, since birth, he's been like this. And this is what the father of the little boy says. He looked at Jesus and he said, but please, if you're able to do something, anything, have compassion on us and help us. And Jesus said to him, what do you mean if? What do you mean if? And then Jesus flips it, and he looks at the father of the little boy, and he says, if you are able to believe, then nothing is impossible to you. There was a miracle in motion. You see, and and Jesus had all these things happening in the story, right? So Jewish exorcists, whenever you read on down, down that story, Jesus commands the deaf and mute spirit to come out. Well, traditional Jewish exorcists, they didn't believe that you could cast a demon out if you didn't know the name of the demon. So tradition was telling Jesus, hey, this little boy can't be delivered. Tradition was saying it's not going to happen for him. The people around him that were that were witnessing the disciples try and cast the demon out, they were saying, yeah, it's, it, they already tried. It's not going to happen. And then if you keep on reading down that story, the demon, when it, when it encountered Jesus, because, you know, he knew its time was, was limited, right? Can't stay there when Jesus is there. So the demon began to shriek, and then it threw the boy into the worst seizures he'd ever had in his life. Why was he doing that? Well, the enemy was trying to do the most damage in the shortest amount of time because he knew his time was limited. And, all, and Jesus wasn't moved by any of it. He's just sitting there having a dialogue with the dad, How long has he been like this? Not moved. Not moved by what tradition said. Not moved by bad theology. Not moved by the damage that the demon was trying to do. He was, and I feel like that that part was included to say that it doesn't matter how long you've been the way you've been. It doesn't matter how long the damage has been present in your life. It It doesn't matter how steeped you've been in
1: tradition.
0: It doesn't matter how long you've had the wrong theology. Because when Jesus becomes in your plate, when he becomes present in the midst of your struggle, he asks the question again, will you believe? It's not if he's able to do something. It's if you're able to believe. You can go ahead and stand up this morning. And I just felt this morning... Jesus wants to do some miracles in our lives this morning. I believe that with everything in my heart. My heart was burning this morning as I was praying because I was like, God, there's some broken situations here. There's some people who have been stuck in mess a long time. There's some people who need a, a financial miracle. There's some people who have had pain in their body. There's some people who have been struggling in their mind. There's some people who are dealing with addiction And I really feel like God says, today is the day. There's a miracle over your life. The question is, will you believe again? So what we're going to do is we're going to sing this song. And if that's you this morning, I want you to start making your way to the altar. If you're believing for a miracle this morning, I want you just to make your way down here. We're going to pray. All right.
2: My heart, only you can satisfy. My soul, only you can satisfy. My heart, Jesus, Jesus, say, only you can satisfy. satisfy my soul only you can satisfy If I take what the world has offered I have to come again Again and again oh, oh. With just one drink of this living water I'll never thirst again Oh, I'll never thirst Only you can satisfy Only you can satisfy the world has often I had to come again again and again oh with just one drink of this living water I'll never thirst again I'll never thirst again cause Jacob's well will never do so I will draw So I will draw from you. Say the changes will we'll never do. So I will draw from you. The space of the world will never do. So I will draw from you.
0: Come on, we're gonna continue to worship. We're gonna sing that again. But I feel like the Holy Spirit won't let me let this go. There's some people still that have not come to the altar, and you have made the statement in your head, and you have said, God, I need you to do something, and if you don't do it, I don't know what I'm going to do. And you have been in a desperate place. And he's saying, stop hiding it because today I'm healing it. And if you refuse to move, he says, you can let it pass you by. But there is a miracle in motion over your life this morning. There's some people here this morning who have been dealing with severe back pain. There's people here this morning who are believing for an intervention in their children. There's people here this morning who are dealing with with asthma today. And you need to come to this altar because God says today is your day. And if you let it pass you by, it's not my fault. See, we often blame God for what hasn't happened. But he says, I just need you to show up and I will do the rest. I don't need you to do anything but show up. So if you will begin to move out of your seat, if that's you, I'm going to give you another opportunity. Come on. You need to move out of your seat. If you've been saying, today is my day for a miracle, and I need God to do a move in my life because I don't know what I'm going to do if he doesn't. There's some marriages in here this morning that God is saying, I am mending. I am mending what has been separated in your life. And you must come. Come to the altar and let the altar, let, let him do what only he can do. Only he can do yes. it this morning. Yes. So if that's you, we're about to move into another moment of worship, and we're going to walk around and pray, but I want you to lift up your hands right now. I want you to lift up your hands and begin to declare with your mouth. Say, God, I know you're able, so I believe.
3: I
2: Oh I have to come again, oh, again and again. With just one drink of the living water, I never thirsted.
0: So we just want to make room. Can we do that? Can we make room for what the Holy Spirit has? I know the hour is getting late and we're gonna go. But if there's anyone else in here this morning and you say, you know, I really wanted to be prayed for, but I, I feel like I missed my moment, you have it. We can come up here and we'll pray. And then we're gonna move on. Because I believe that miracles are truly the assignment. Miracles are truly the assignment. And as we move into this season of miracles that Pastor's calling as believe that it, that we're coming into I just believe that every time you show up in this building you need to believe for the miraculous to be manifested in this place That's right Because it's not going to be confined to the four walls of this building I believe that Cluiston is about to experience the goodness of God. Amen. Cluiston is about to experience the supernatural moving of God like they've never known before. And so I hear that this morning. Get ready. Tomorrow when you go on your job, you better walk in there with your head held high and say, bring me. Possibility, because miracles are my assignment. Yes, yes, yes. Today, tonight, when you tuck your kids in that bed, you better look at those babies and say miracles are your assignment. And you will not grow up thinking that they're rare. You will not grow up thinking that they're Amen. the exception to the Otherwise. rule. But my kids will know and work in the miraculous realm. believe that. Amen. Amen. Can we just lift our hands and pray? I know there's still people praying. We don't want to interrupt that. And if you still want want praying after, just come to the altar and we'll pray with you. But let's just lift our hands. God, we thank you for today. We thank you for the miracles that have taken place. I thank you that testimonies are going to come from today. I thank you that there is going to be testimonies that arise from this moment because there has been a marking. In the atmosphere today that says the impossibility is my assignment. And so I refuse to live in any other reality. I refuse to live in any other reality but wholeness and healing and restoration and blessing and the favor of God. I refuse to live in any other reality thank you for challenging our theology this morning on miracles. God, I thank you that you're, you're deepening your revelation on us, God. And let us look at miracles as our assignment rather than just a, a rare thing that happens every once in a while. But God, let the miraculous erupt in this place so much that it spills over into the roads of 27 into the roads of Cluiston and all of a sudden people will be driving their cars and they'll just end up here because they'll say I've got to witness something that I've never seen before because I'm desperate for God to do something in my life so we thank you for that and we just praise you for what you've done Lord thank you that you're so good to us Thank you for being such a good God. Thank you for being such a good father. We we never want to be unaware of how good you've been to us. So Lord, let us always remember that you are going to be faithful. Someone just needs to to hear that right now. He's going to be faithful. The prayers he prayed, the prayers you've prayed, he's heard. And he's going to be faithful. Just keep showing up. Just look at your neighbor and say, just keep showing up. Just keep showing up and see what happens. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, we'll dismiss at this moment if you want to leave. If you still want prayer, please come down to the front and our prayer team will be here to pray with you. We love you. Have a good week.